So when I was growing up, when I was growing up, we played certain playground games that we're not allowed to play anymore in the playground. Um, you, you know that game that we play, um, wall ball? Okay, we used to call it butts up. And what you would do is you would play this game called butts up and you would throw the ball against the wall and, and now they call it wall ball. It's safer, it's more politically correct. You know, butts up doesn't sound too healthy. And so what they do now is you catch the ball and you have to throw it against the wall before the kid gets to the wall. Well, when we were growing up, you threw the ball at the person. And if you pegged them, they got a letter. And after you got B-U-T-T, you had to stand against the wall. And you weren't allowed to look. And everyone got a free shot at you. So if you're playing with 20 kids, you just lined up and you kept looking. No. No. And you'd always be concerned with that one guy. Like you were always waiting to like, like the, I, certain kids were always at the end of the line and you always waited for the end of the line. But it always seemed like the strong arms like came up to the front line. They're like, yeah, get Danny Stone to the front of the line. Like in all of a sudden you'd just be like, oh, why did I play this dumb game? We also played another game called Bull in the Ring. Anyone ever hear Bull in the Ring? Okay. What we would do is we would go to the playground at Brookside School and... So next time you drive by Brookside, think about this, where all the swings are. We used to draw a big line in the dirt. And I never knew about it. One day, it was, I, was a, I was a seventh grader. And um, uh, what was his name? John. What was John's last name? John Ardia. Remember John Ardia? John Ardia. John Ardia was a stud eighth grade kid. Played football for Upper Saddle River. And he was just like... And for some reason, because I was one of the biggest kids in the class, they always were like, hey, let's have you go fight the uh, older kids. So all of a sudden, I heard this chanting going around, you know, go, go, go. And all of a sudden, I forget who it was. They're like, Rob, we need you. And we ran down to the playground, and there was John Ardia. And they said, okay, John versus Rob, bull in the ring. Fortunately, I won. Yeah, woo! But... All of a sudden, I'm like, why do they always make me do this? Why? So we were very violent when we were little. (laughs) Kids aren't like that these days. But there was also one other game. One other game. And again, I always got involved. I actually am like an extra extrovert, but when I was little, I think I was really an introvert who was made into an extrovert when you have six brothers and you're big. You just have to jump off the bridge and fight the people you don't want to and do all these things. There's one game called Mercy. Remember this game? Good call. Thank you. I thought you guys were all getting excited about the game. Mercy. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so anyways, good hands. Thank you. Good job. You saved me some money, my friend. There was one other game called Mercy. And in this, you would have two guys. Again, they usually got the two biggest guys. So there's like some, usually like I'm the biggest guy in the room, but we have a couple of the big guys. We got, we got Jim, we got Dave, we got Patrick, we got Mike. We got some big boys in this room. And what you would do is, come here, Fowler. <laughs> We're not going to play it because now you're bigger than me. And you would go like this. You put your hands up. And on the count of three, you would have this fight where you had to try. I don't want to play. I don't want to play. I don't want. I'm 42, man. I don't want to play Mercy. <laughs> so you would play this game. Come here. We'll show them. But we won't really play. But you'd get to this point where you're losing. And the loser would get on their knees and they'd be like, Mercy! 
And you had to play this game. What's that? You won. He won. But you'd play this game that, like, it, it was all about control. And, and it was about, you, when you screamed mercy, you were screaming out that this other person had power over you. And it was his ability to grant you pardoned. And sometimes you kind of held it a little bit longer. Yeah, on the playground. And it's funny is what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And it's just one of those things that just kind of happened was we started talking about, I need a new stand because I don't want my, I don't want to break my iPad. Um, you got me? All right, cool. Oh, never mind. Got it. All right. We're going to talk about another beatitude. And the beatitude is simply this. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do you notice how everything that I've talked about in the Beatitudes, whether myself or when I did, the whole idea is that you would experience the abundant, blessed life that God already has planned for you. That's the whole point of the Beatitudes. Jesus stopped everyone and said, let me tell you how to live the best, blessed life ever. But when we think about blessing, we think about external needs. And Jesus has flipped it. Even the Jewish people. The Jewish people believed that the blessed life involved external things. And power was one of them. Power was one of them. And Jesus said, no. I'm going to teach you how to have the best life that God has to offer. And the one we're going to talk about this morning is the blessed life with the ability to understand mercy. Not just mercy in your life, but is your life a channel of mercy? I just want to pray again and just ask the Holy Spirit to just do a work in our lives that we would be open to begin to understand what mercy is. Because it wasn't until I understood what mercy was, I lived in a prison of my soul. I can honestly say that. That until I really understood what mercy was, I was trapped. And I was a prisoner to other people. So Holy Spirit, I ask You right now, I want the blessed life. And everyone who is here wants that blessed life from you. And so I ask you now that you would be the teacher. Allow my words to be simply deep and simply powerful. In Jesus' name, Amen.
So often when we think about the word mercy, we think about the word compassion. We think about the word compassion to those who are less fortunate than us. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine works for a nonprofit organization called the Mercy Ships. And what the Mercy Ship does is they go around and they give food and clothing and shelter to areas, third world countries that aren't able to afford things. And so oftentimes when we think about mercy, we think about when we walk around New York City and we are able to feed the homeless. When we see someone who's in need of something, that we, we do something significant for them. That's compassion. Yesterday, Jimmy Malone, big Jim over there, spent the day in Philadelphia. He sent me about 190 pictures yesterday of what he did in Philadelphia. He literally went on the streets of Philadelphia and he just loved the people. He had a big cross and he just did some street evangelism. And it was really powerful. That's compassion. What Jimmy did yesterday was he had compassion on people who were A, not knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and B, living in a place of poverty. Correct? Is that fair to say? So he has a heart of compassion. But compassion and mercy are very different. And all of us want to have a heart of compassion for the least of these. I've been to Uganda. I've been to other places. I've done a lot of urban work. This Thursday night, I got to spend time at an urban camp and share with all these urban teenagers. And my heart was broken for their circumstances. And my compassion allowed me to speak to them and love them right where they're at. And by the grace of God, awesome things happened. But mercy deals with power. Mercy deals with the ability to not cause people to live in oppression. Mercy deals with this idea when someone has had or has control over you, that you release them through one word that defines the whole gospel. What I love about Jesus and I love about parenting is, is that when I sit down and just tell my kids what to believe, they say, here we go, dad's lecturing us. And I remember growing up, my dad used to give me lecture after lecture. He'd be like, hey, come here. Come here. And he would always be like, wear his glasses like this. And he'd always point at me and be like, come here. Come here. Come here. Now, can I tell you a little bit more about my father? Should I tell them? Or should I not? Sure. My dad never swore in his life. Never said a bad word. Maybe a few times. And whenever he did that, he always used his middle finger. And we're like, dad, you can't use that finger when you're pointing at us. So he'd have his glasses down and he'd be pointing his finger at us and telling us to come here. And I'd be like, Dad! He's like, what, 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 what? We're like, you can't do that. But my dad used to lecture me with facts. And there are times, I'm not going to say, <coughs> Brandon, will say, Dad's about to lecture me. Or Becky, or Ben, or Luke, where I go into fact-telling. But whenever I go into story that reveals facts, 
My kids hear me because they feel I'm communicating with them. This happened last week. My one child and I were having this amazing conversation and I went into story. And at the end, believe it or not, they just kind of walked away and said, hey, thanks for a great conversation. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And Jesus did that. Jesus taught through story. Let's listen to the story. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. If someone has it in the, in the church Bible, just tell me what page it is. Anyone have it? Whoever gets it first gets a candy. Matthew 18. What's that? 589. 589. Here's a candy. Five ninety. Here we go. Matthew eighteen. Listen to the story. Okay. Then Peter came to him <clears throat> and asked, "Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins? Let's say it together against me. Seven times." Like, <clears throat> honestly, that seems a lot. You ever have someone that you had to forgive seven times? You're like, dude, I'm not saying it again. No. Not seven times, Jesus replied. But 70 times seven. I remember being in conflict with someone and I read this and I'm like, I have to forgive them 490 times? It's too many. Well, Janet, this sermon's for you. <laughs> Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. You see, what the, the master was going to do, he was going to make him a bond servant. For many years, he was going to work off this debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. Think about your mortgage. It's a great illustration. What would happen if you were unable to pay your mortgage for a month? Get a little nervous. Multiple months. A year and you went to the bank and said, you know what? I'm not only going to take everything you have, I'm going to own everything you have, including you. And you fell on your knees and you said, please, 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 one more chance, one more chance. And they took your mortgage and they ripped it up. Don't you love stories like that? They actually happen. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant. So the one guy's debt was completely forgiven. 
And you would think that this guy would respond to people differently. But look what he does. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in jail until the debt could be paid in full. Now think about this. This one guy owed a million dollars and the guy said, I'm taking you and your family and you're going to work it off. But then he grants him forgiveness. But then this guy goes to someone else who owes him a few thousand dollars, grabs him by the throat, and he says, you're going to pay this off. You're going to go to jail until you pay this off. How can he pay this off if he's sitting in jail? You see, we forget that part of the story is that this guy did not allow any way for this other man's debt to be repaid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. You begged me. You asked me for mercy. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father, this is Jesus says, this is not part of the parable. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I wonder how many of us right now, or how many times that I've read this story that I always added one word as I read it. But. But you. But you don't know. Let me tell you my... Isn't it funny how that when Jesus used... A story he used finances. Why? Because finances are those things that are closest and dearest to our hearts. How do I know? Because this was paying the bill week. And during the summer months, we try to live off of one income. And we try to shuffle things and move things so that I can pay my bills. And there are times that when I will sit there paying my bills that there will be evil thoughts that run through my mind. And, and I'm not even joking. There are thoughts that go through me when I'm dealing with my finances that never run through me. And I had to literally catch myself, I believe it was on Friday, and say, Rob, 
you're not only bad, but you're being evil. And I stopped myself and I prayed. I said, God, just let me pay my bills. Let me walk through them. And let me trust that you are my Jehovah Jireh. And that you will make it, we will make it until September 15th when Sue gets paid next. I think people love and hate me for one reason. I'm a little too transparent, right? Sometimes I tell some things that people don't want to hear. But I think it's important that you guys understand that that I feel the things you feel. I struggle with the things that you struggle with. And there are certain things in all of our lives that have the ability to trip us up. And one of those is when someone has offended us. Finances and offenses are probably the two things that we struggle at times most with. And in this parable, it's, it's such an amazing story because it's so extreme. That here you have this person that owes millions of dollars. How deliberate is that? And it wasn't just in the English language, but the same word that they used for million was the same Greek word that everyone who heard the story wasn't like, oh, that's a lot of money. That's a few coins. No, millions of dollars. The same thing when he then said that, that someone who owed a few thousand dollars. And what Jesus was showing was Two things. The heart of God and the heart of humanity. You see, the king represents God our Father who loves us so much. Now listen to this. That he sent his son. It says in John chapter 3, not to what? Condemn the world but to save the world. The only condemnation that comes on humanity is when we reject Jesus and then we take on the penalty of sin and death. But with Jesus, there is no condemnation. I even love when he went to the, to the prostitute and he, and, he, and he drew a line in the sand and he, and he had everyone look at their own sins and he says, are you willing to forgive? And he didn't turn to that woman and say, you must repent. He said, stand up. And he looked in her eyes and what did he say? Go and sin no more. Go stop that lifestyle. And so when you look at all of Scripture, you see this Father's heart that is willing to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. That it says in 1 Peter that our God is not slow to anger. 
is not quick to anger, but he is slow to anger so that everyone will believe. Think about with my kids or your kids. What happens when my kids come up to me and I am willing to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive? What do they become to others? A channel of forgiveness. And there are times that I don't want to forgive my children. There are times that my children will do certain things that I'm like, that's the last one. That's the last one. Until you. But the heart of the Father. So when my child's willing to come up and identify their need for mercy, I have an opportunity to be the channel of God to them. Amen? Amen. You're allowed to say amen if I'm, if I'm saying something that's clicking. But then you look at this other guy. And honestly, we're like, this guy's a jerk. This dude does not get it. But the fact of the matter is, this individual represents you and I. That every single time that we are in a situation of having to deal with the issue of granting forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, we get to choose to be either like Him or what we expect Him to be. And I think that's the hardest part of the gospel is, is that and you hear this all the time if you come to the plant. We know Christ to what? We know Christ to what? You guys are weak. We know Christ to what? Say it again. We know Christ to what? We gather to what? Okay. We know Christ so that we can be Christ to others. Amen? Amen. And the way that we are a people of God that reveal the heart of God that's found in Scripture is what other people believe what the heart of God is. I've had to go through certain seasons of my life that I had to choose both financially and emotionally how I was going to respond. <clears throat> I remember one time, let's talk finances. I was working for a nonprofit. We were actually making welfare. Remember that? Because we knew it was God's calling. 
Sue got a job, I was working the job, and we really literally went into the woods to work for this organization, and we went into major, major debt. Financially, it was the stupidest thing we could have done, but spiritually, it was exactly where God had called us. And there was times that I was freaking out, and I'm like, what am I going to do? 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 And I remember I called someone just to touch base with them. They said, how are you doing financially? So I'm not good. He said, well, I just want to let you know that I just got a, a severance for my job. And I'm supposed to give you some money. Do you know what he did? He not only took away my debt, but he gave what my debt was in my bank account. How awesome is that? Four years later, I had a friend of mine who was going through a really hard time. And I remember asking, how are you doing? And we were better. We were in a different, different ministry doing better. Things were really working and working and going forward. And I finally got it out of him that he was struggling financially. And I had an opportunity to be the heart of God. I said, I'm going to give you something, but you're never allowed to give back to me. That's financially. But then relationally. It seems like in my life that I've always had to deal with the issue of forgiveness. I think that the enemy knows my weaknesses. And I grew up in a very charismatic Pentecostal church. And um, it was a great church. I love that church to this day. And I grew up in a very religious home. But there are some things that happened that caused me to become, have the ability to, to, to forgive anyone. Especially those who have offended me the most. And I've shared this story before, but let me just dig it even deeper. When I came to Jesus, you know the first thing that the Holy Spirit told me? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. He said, you need to go forgive so-and-so. And you need to do it now. I knew I wasn't going to see that person for a week and I prayed for that week. God, I, I can't, I don't know, but I'm going to. And I forgave that individual. Some other things happened that that same person offended me about 490 more times. And there actually came a point that I went to my wife and I said, we are leaving the ministry. I hate them. I want to do bad things to them. And in my soul, I can't stand before people and say that I love God, yet hate, capital H, capital A, capital T, capital E, I hate. Hate them. Anyone feeling me? And that night, Sue went out with some girls and she's like, hey, I got to go. I probably shouldn't leave you like this, but I, but I have to. And I got on my knees and I said, God, I, I am going to have a breakdown. And I poured my heart out to God. And in one moment, I kid you not, 
God showed me that my sins were no different than that person's sins against me. And I sat down and I wrote this really long letter. I don't even think I let, did I even let you read that? I did. And that next morning I went to their house before their day started and I, and I read the whole letter. And I began by saying, first and foremost, you, I need to ask you for forgiveness. And at the end of my letter, that person said, do you know everything you accused me of? I have done. And I'm sorry. Fast forward years and years later, do you think that person fully changed? No. I remember one day I was at Cornerstone and I got a phone call from that individual. And they said, Rob, I need to talk to you. You're the only one who understands me because of what I've done to you. I have hurt you. I've offended you multiple, multiple times. And I've had someone in my life who's done the same exact thing. And you're the only one that I can go to who can pray for me. You see, love emerging from forgiveness changes the direction of your life. Write that down. Love emerging from forgiveness changes the direction of your life. I can read this one thing that Jesus said. Jesus said this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Figuratively or literally. Do you know that's how we act? We love to read the Bible figuratively or literally. Is that a metaphor? That's probably for her, not for me. I bet you it's for them. God blesses. Blessed are the merciful. Because they shall be shown mercy. You see, we come to Jesus because we have this, this deep, deep need that we, there's something that has separated us and it's called what? Sin. But the problem is, is that when we come to Jesus, He wipes that sin away and all He's saying is, I want you to be a reflection of what I've been for you. And the problem is, is that life doesn't get perfect when we become Christians, does it? Amen. Right? Sometimes it becomes more difficult because we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. But when we stick to the fight, the enemy's power becomes less and less and less and less. A control on us. But the Gospel is summed up very simply with one word. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
What will you do with His forgiveness for you? And then how do you handle those who have sinned against you? Not one time. Not seven times. What a great answer by Peter. Like seven times seems enough. But when Jesus used that 70 times seven, He was saying it's endless. There is an individual in my life that I have to learn to forgive repeatedly, and it's not so. I remember one time I talked on forgiveness, and people were like, do you and see who need a counselor? No, we don't need a counselor. This person was long before so. Yesterday, I was just thinking over my sermon, and I'm like, God, I, I really hope you do something special tomorrow. And I turn on the radio, and someone used the word Mercy. I'm like, you're up to something, Jesus. I really feel like the only way that we have a personal revival in our soul is when we truly understand what forgiveness is. That's one of the things that I love about marriage most. That Sue and I get to be Jesus to one another. I will offend her and she'll forgive me and she will offend me and I will forgive her. My kids will offend me and I will forgive them and I will offend my kids and they, I hope, will forgive me. But I even sense in the room, and not trying to be weird or spooky, that, that there's a lot of excuses going on in your hearts right now. And that's the devil. And he's saying for every excuse you have, you are setting up a brick wall to allow the Holy Spirit to do a powerful work in you. I never met Jesus physically, but I met Him emotionally and relationally. That when His love overpowered me, I didn't need to see Him to believe Him. His love tore down my walls. And every time those walls start building, I come back to the one who saved me. Who rescued me. And there will be times that I will continually be offended. Do you know this church planting path has caused me more soul harm than any other thing I've ever done? I've had people who I, who I thought had my back stab me. I've had people say bad things about me. I've kind of put myself on the limb and kind of was left there all alone. For the first several years, I was never in a lonelier place in my life that God had to constantly deal with the issue of forgiveness. Will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? Will you forgive them? And I finally said, God, I am not going to be an unforgiving person. I'm going to be a channel of forgiveness no matter how hard it hurts because I want to know you I want to see you. I want to be near you. We deal in a society where children are abandoned and spouses are left on their own. We deal with a society where families don't trust one another that, that it's not about blood anymore. 
We deal with a society that has so much technology that we don't even know how to forgive one another. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be someone's best friend. Forgiveness means that you're willing to let go of the offense that they committed against you. Amen? Forgiveness, let me say this again, is your willingness to let go of the offense that they have committed against you. And your forgiveness deals with your ability to, to ask for forgiveness for the offenses that you have caused against others. You want to know the depths of someone's spirituality. Look at their depths of their ability to forgive. I truly believe and even feel in my soul that today that God wants to set us all free. But He's going to set one person free that they're going to literally be changed forever. And He wants to do revival this morning in this space not with your future plans and the blessings that you need, but with your ability to fully understand and comprehend the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is summed up in one word. Forgiveness. Amen? I got a smirk. Because forgiveness has changed the direction of my life. My heart is no longer in a jail cell. To the point that I am accused of being too quick to forgive. You know why? Because I don't want to be I don't want to offend others. I do a lot wrong. And I can easily offend others. And I want their willingness to forgive me to be my willingness to forgive them only through Jesus. Amen? If any, if any of you are sitting here and saying, well, this, no, were you thinking about me all week? The answer is no. Are you doing this because you knew? No. I'm doing this because this was what was next in Scripture that God wanted me to speak on that I planned. And so you are here. Because God wants to deal with all of our hearts and all of our lives. That love emerging from forgiveness will change the direction of all of our lives. Not our life, but our lives.